turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Okay, good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. And I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. It is April the 25th, 2023. And it's getting warmer outside, isn't it? Man, I don't know. I I need to go and look at the history. Has it gotten this warm so early in April? I I don't know. I don't remember. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway. Today, uh, if you're home or if you're the passenger in a car and you want to follow along, we're going to be taking a look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17. And I'll be reading that here in just a moment. And when we look at this, we're going to see that the life of Paul is the quintessential before and after story. Before his conversion, Saul of Tarsus, that's Paul, He was a meticulous observer of the law. Well, at least outwardly. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? The cream of the crop. And no doubt, he saw himself as a paragon of piety. and He probably looked down on those who settled for less than just perfection. He was clearly a gifted student. We know that he sat under the feet of Gamaliel, that distinguished teacher, and he learned much from him, Acts 22, verse 3. But Saul's misguided zeal for the law led him to just hate the Christians. He was there present for the stoning of Stephen. He ruthlessly hunted down other followers of Jesus. Acts 7, uh, 58, uh, 8, 3 makes that very clear to us. He tore Christians from their homes. He threw them into prison. He approved of their torture and even their death. All the while, he considered his zealous persecution of Christians to be a service to God. But one day, on his way down to Damascus, Saul ran right into the blinding grace of God in Acts 9, 1-19. In that encounter... A lot more was changed than just his name. The Lord Jesus transformed him into a champion for the gospel, and he began to openly condemn the legalistic system he once followed. He preached that Christ alone makes people righteous. The hatred for Jesus and his people that once darkened his heart gave way to unwavering love for both the Savior and his saints. At first, his former enemies did not trust him, but the transformation was real. 
Eventually, Paul even gave his life for the movement he had once tried to extinguish. Now, that is a miraculous change. And that is what the good news of the gospel can do in a person's life. The good news of God is that sinners can be saved and changed through the mercy of God. And Paul is a prime example of that. So my aim, my aim is to help us appreciate the grace we have received and to motivate us to share it with others. Now, here in 1 Timothy, after having spent the first 10 verses of his first letter to Timothy, describing the importance of sound doctrine and the dangers of false teaching, Paul mentioned the glorious gospel of the blessed God in verse 11. And I think at this point, Paul just couldn't help but kind of launch into a testimony of the application of that wonderful gospel in his own life. So here in verses 12 through 17, Paul declares three things. Number one, that he was thankful for what he had become. Number two, that he was remorseful for what he had had been. Number three, that he was joyful for what made it all possible. And so let's look at each of those things more closely. Number one, Paul was thankful for what he had become. He writes this in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Man, Paul radiated gratefulness. I mean, all you got to do is just look at what Christ did for him. You can understand why. And Paul said that Christ gave him strength. His energy, his power for the ministry came from the Lord. His strength didn't come from, you know, a college education, nor did it come through personal charisma, or he didn't go out there and say, well, I sat under the feet of Gamaliel. No, it didn't come through any of those kind of gimmicks, like church growth gimmicks. It was his strength that came from Jesus. His understanding of who Jesus was, what he had done, and what he continues to do. And when we really grasp that, in our minds, we will have the same attitude. I think this is a great reminder for us. Our ministry for Christ ought to be, must be, rooted in Christ. Without Him, without His strength at the center of who we are and what we do, we will accomplish very little that matters in the long term, in eternity. Okay, so number one, uh, Christ gave Him strength. Number two, Paul said that Christ considered him faithful. That is, Jesus trusted him. Even as an unbelieving and gospel-ignorant Jewish leader, Paul had maintained a good conscience because he lived up to the knowledge and understanding that he had. Often, those who are intensely wrong as lost sinners become intensely right as Christians and are greatly used of God to win souls. And man, we, see, we know that about Paul, right? He most certainly did that. So, Christ considered him faithful. Number three, Paul said that Christ appointed him to service. That his, that's his ministry. Paul did not sign himself up for the job of apostle, did he? God selected and appointed him. Now, Paul recognized 
that his appointment was not to some position of prestige, but it was rather a position of service, that ministering. Paul had been chosen to be God's instrument, and he would be rewarded in the end, but he would serve and suffer until the end of this life in this realm. So the gospel of Christ had made such a difference in Paul, and it made him so thankful for what he had become. Yet, Paul never forgot what he had been. And we we ought to always remember that. That's very important. All right, number two. Paul was remorse. This is uh, my second point in the lesson. Paul was remorseful for, for what he had been. So now we're in verse 13. Paul's remorseful for what he had been. Here's what he writes. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. That is quite an ugly list of who and what Paul had been before he met Jesus the Christ. Some of us may have been living a life that was just as opposed to the things of God. But if not, even if we were considered moral and good people without Christ in our lives, we were still lost sinners. Now, I want us to take a closer look at the things Paul was before Christ intervened in his life. This isn't going to be in depth, but just uh, first number one, he was a blasphemer. He was a blasphemer because he denied the deity of Jesus. And he forced others to deny it also. I think um, a few lessons back in the introduction, you may find this in the radio program, and then the the first one on 1 Timothy. Actually, you know what? Let me, I can give you that to you. Actually, I have it right here. Do-do-do-do-do. Where's that? Sorry. Uh, I did this one on April the 4th. Uh, So if you want to go back and listen to that. We went into more depth on that. But here... Back, uh, he was a blasphemer. Anyone who has said uh, uh, that Jesus is not God's son and is not the Messiah, that's Paul said, okay, you're, you're or at the time, Saul Tarsus, you're, you're off the hook. But when you say that, you become a blasphemer. You're denying, you're anti what Jesus is. So you're, you're a blasphemer. Number two, uh, well, I won't get into that here. Number two, he was a persecutor. Paul was a persecutor because he used physical power to try to destroy the church. He inflicted injury on individuals and on the church as a whole. He was a violent aggressor. And a violent aggressor is someone who's rude and arrogant and who shows a lack of respect. So we know what a violent person is like. But here is an interesting take. This is from William Barclay. He says, or writes, The word indicates a kind of arrogant sadism. It describes the man who is out to inflict pain for the sheer joy of inflicting it. Ouch. Paul was not exactly a nice guy, right? How could a guy like that end up in God's service? Well, the same way we all do, by God's mercy. Now, I want to Actually, I do. I want to back up. I, was, I wasn't going to do this, but I, I just want to give a little snippet here, a little excursus on blasphemer. I can't think of the verse on the top of my head, but remember where uh, Jesus says uh, that uh, it's in Matthew. Maybe I will. Let me look that up real quick. 
Okay, so where Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty one, where he says, Therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And I've heard it taught that that is speaking against the Word of God today, that we can still do that. Then uh, that is not true because the Word is Jesus, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14, and the Word became flesh. That's Christ. Here, just so you know, that blaspheming against the Spirit is blaspheming against the miraculous that they are seeing from Jesus. If you're not going to believe that, nothing is ever going to bring you to the truth. And that's what he's saying there. Sorry for that excursion. I should probably not gone there, but I wanted to throw that in there. But let's go back, back where we were at here in our lesson. Uh, back to what Paul said, uh, that he was shown mercy because he acted in ignorance and in unbelief. Even though he was a brilliant man, well-educated, he knew what the old law taught and the prophets uh, that was there. His mind was blinded to the truths that he could find in that, that account. So he was still held accountable, though, for his actions, but God recognized that his actions were based on sincerity. Even though he was sincerely wrong, it still was. He was ignorant, but when he was shown the truth, he responded to that truth, didn't he? It's one thing to be wrong and to know we are wrong, but God looks at it differently when we are wrong, but we don't realize that we're wrong. And I am not saying that even if you're sincere, you're going to be okay. No, you're still going to go to hell if you're if you're not doing God's will. That's the truth. But if you're sincere and you would respond to truth, God would send you opportunities. God sent Paul an opportunity. He could have rejected it, but he did not. You know, one thing that stands out in this passage is Paul's insistence upon remembering his own sin. He was very open with his failings. Why did he remember his sinfulness with such vividness and share it with such openness? I think it's because the memory of the sin was the surest way to keep him from pride. There could be no such thing as spiritual pride for a man who had done the things Paul done. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. Interesting. It does us all good to remember how much we have been forgiven because it keeps us from spiritual pride. And there's so much more I could speak on that, but I won't. Number two, Paul remembered his sinfulness because the memory of his sin was the surest way to keep his gratitude aflame. The bigger the debt we have canceled, the greater the appreciation we will have. Again, the surest way to be thankful always is to realize just how much you and I have been forgiven. Number three, Paul remembered his sinfulness because the memory of his sin was the constant urge to greater effort. It is true that we can never earn the approval of God, nor deserve his love and mercy. But we should never stop trying to become better. 
so that we might show our appreciation for his sacrifice and be more effective in our service. Number four, Paul remembered his sinfulness because the memory of his sin was bound to be a constant encouragement to others. I'm not going to elaborate on that point here because it it leads us right into the next one. But in summary, Paul's sin was something uh, which he refused to forget. Every time he remembered the greatness of his sin, he remembered the still greater greatness of Jesus and the salvation that comes through him. Now, I'm not encouraging anyone to negatively dwell upon their sin and thus be burdened with guilt. Not at all. Paul remembered his sin in order that he might be kept from pride, that he might be motivated to do better, and that he might rejoice in the wonder of the grace of God. So it's, all, it's like he's looking ahead always, forward, not, by, not behind, not looking back and thinking, what a horrible person I was, but looking forward thinking, man, I cannot believe how much God has, has done for me and continues to do for me. I got to get this to as many people who will listen so that they will have the same joy I have. And that's point number three. Paul was joyful for what made it all possible. Here's what he writes in verses 14 to 17. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What made it possible for Paul to change from who he was to who he became? The unlimited patience and glorious grace of God, his grace, God's grace, was more than sufficient to cover and cleanse the sins of Paul. How about you? Do you ever wonder if you've committed a sin just too heinous for God to forgive? That's impossible. The shadow of sin, though sometimes long and broad and dark, can never obscure the light of God's grace. Jesus died for all our sins. The big ones, the small ones in our mind, the private ones, the public ones, the ones we struggle with, the ones we are not even aware of. Once we put our trust in him and we stay in Christ, we stand under the endless fountain of his precious blood, which cleanses every sin we've ever committed. Is that not more than just good news? Best news. It's the best news. Paul put the whole gospel in a nutshell there in verse 15. The the crux of the matter is prefaced with that key attention-getting phrase. It is a trustworthy statement Deserving full acceptance. Uh, One translation says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full attention. What Paul is saying is underscore this. He's saying that if you highlight your your Bibles, highlight this one in yellow, you can take it to to the bank. You can throw everything else away, but keep this. What is it? Jesus came to save sinners. 
That's what Jesus' ministry was all about, right? That's why he came to this earth to save people. And the only kind of people that exist are sinners. Paul held held himself up as the best, worst example. He said he had received mercy so that Christ might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul was saying, if he can save me, he can save anybody. Suppose a man was seriously ill and he had to go through a dangerous operation. It would be of great encouragement to him if he could meet and talk with someone who had undergone the same operation and had emerged completely cured, right? Wouldn't that be encouraging? He wouldn't want to meet someone who said, well, my brother had the same operation, but he died. Paul didn't hide his past record. Rather, he shared it openly. Why? So that others might take courage and be filled with hope that the grace that had saved and changed him might save and change them as well. And how should formerly miserable sinners who are now redeemed saints respond to God's mercy? Same way Paul did. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Someone should write a song about that. (laughs) And if you don't know what I'm talking about, someone did write a song with that line. Our God is an awesome God. He is worthy of that exclamation. It is not a misuse of that term. He is eternal and immortal and mostly invisible. He is the one true God who deserves our honor and glory forever. And that's exactly what God is presently getting and will get throughout eternity. What a marvelous passage. What a great lesson. We must never forget what we were, but we must always appreciate the grace that saved us. And we must continue to strive to be better and more like our God. Now, I want to go back and look at this, where Paul says it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his purpose, right? We know that. We know that. You know that. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's why he sent his Son, to die for our sins. When Jesus and when God say they love us, that agape love, what they mean is not just putting the needs of uh, ours above their own, it is to bring us to that truth. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 31, or maybe 32, when Jesus is talking to those Jews who believed, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus wanted to bring us the truth. Paul wants to bring us the truth. And when we become Christians, when we are baptized into Christ, raised up in that new life, and God adds us to the church, we are part of that one new man, true, we need to have the love of God. But it's not just putting the needs of others ahead of our own. Because remember, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul even says, even if you sell all that you have to give to the poor, or give all your possessions to the poor, uh, and you don't, do not have love, what good is it? 
Even if you offer your body to be burned for people, what good is that? It, it, but isn't those two things, giving all you have to the poor, dying for others, isn't that putting you, their needs ahead of your own, the very definition of agape love? It is. But the difference between that and what Jesus did is that he did it in order to bring us somewhere, to bring us to the truth. If you are not coupling the truths uh, that we have in this life about who God is, the great creator, what he's done for us through his son, then what good is it if you feed the poor all your life, but you never present them with the truth so that they will have that information to make a good choice in this life? Because eventually they'll die. And this short vapor of a life will be meaningless because they will burn for eternity in hell. So what good was it to feed them? What good was it for you to give your life to, uh, for them if you never presented to them the truth? That's the kind of agape love Jesus had. That's the kind of agape love Paul had. That's what Paul meant when he was told the Corinthians, um, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That's what you and I need to be doing. If we are truly Christians, then we are going to couple the truth with our love, our agape love. If we do not, then we do not look like Christ. We don't look like him. Are you doing that? Every time when you show love, which hopefully, Lord willing, it's every day, you're coupling it with the truth. You give praise to the Lord. You be that kind of light that Jesus was, that Paul was. That's our job. If you really understood all that God's done for you, you would present it out there for those who do not have it. That's important. And as we wrap up this radio program, I got about one more minute. I want to encourage you again to you know get get out of a uh, um, the hustle and bustle of life. And that's hard, I know. But if you're able to take some time off this summer, coming up in June, we have the Copper Basin Bible Camps. Cub camps, that's going to be for people who are um, kindergarten going right before, uh, for, so kindergarten to third grade, okay? And you're, you're, they're able to you know go potty and take care of themselves, but that's a camp for them. It's only a couple of days, Wednesday to Friday. Uh, a parent will have to be up, or a guardian has to be up there with them, but it's an introduction to camp. After that, we have uh, the high school camp, and then the junior high camp, and Wait, wait, yeah, yeah, did you hear high camp? And then we have the fourth to sixth grade camp, and then combo week. They're in the first week of July, and it's a great time. It's ten minutes outside of Prescott. We have eighty acres up there in the mountains. It is a wonderful camp, and if you haven't heard, it's not that expensive. But you can know more about going to cbbc.life and registering there. And I'm over my time. God bless you. Remember to redeem the time. And I'll see you next week. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com.